Welcome to the Forest Grove United Church of Christ podcast, a place where faith and community converge. We are delighted to have you join us on the spiritual journey as we explore the depths of our beliefs, share inspiring stories, and delve into topics that resonate with our congregation and beyond. Our podcast aims to foster a sense of togetherness and encourage meaningful conversations that deepen our understanding of God's love and grace. Whether you are a long-standing member, a seeker on the path of faith, or simply curious about the teachings of Christ, we invite you to tune in, engage, and find solace and inspiration within our virtual sanctuary. Thank you for being a part of our community and for your continued support for the Forest Grove United Church of Christ podcast. Well, it is my great joy and honor to welcome Gail Burton today to be with us on our FGUCC podcast. Gail Burton began her work with Theater of the Oppressed Laboratory Institute for Popular Education at the Brecht Forum in New York City in 2003 in the facilitator training internship. She had been working extensively with incarcerated women. Her practice of Theater of the Oppressed became a means of further clarifying and strengthening her political vision and skills as a community educator and she soon contributed significantly to the growth and direction of theater of theater of the oppressed laboratory collective as a political project in addition to being a popular educator and black historian gail is also the founder of the center for theater and pedagogy of the oppressed some of us who read fgucc publications may have already read uh, the descriptions provided by the Center for Theater and Pedagogy of the Oppressed of certain Theater of the Oppressed exercises that are being used as part of our deconstruction ministry at Forest Grove United Church of Christ. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, popular education and Black history. Gail, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Brendan. You know, we have a very long and deep uh, history with each other, and I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you. And I as well. I wanted to ask you for our listeners, what is, what, so you're the founder of Center for Theater and Pedagogy of the Oppressed. What, what is Pedagogy of the Oppressed? And what is popular education? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, pedagogy of the oppressed is, um, well, it's an approach, it's a methodology, it's, but it really is a concept that was developed by Paulo Freire, who is was an educational theorist who um, was working with the Catholic workers, Catholic, yeah, Catholic Workers Action Committee in Brazil during the 1960s and 1970s to confront the dictatorship there. So pedagogy is a, is an educational term that is, um, it, uh, pedagogy is the educational theory. So that's what pedagogy means. It's an edu- it refers to educational theory. So pedagogy of the oppressed is an educational theory that is meant to be a confrontation of oppression. Um, so that's what pedagogy of the oppressed is. It's a term that was created and coined by Paulo Freire, the educational theorist I mentioned. Um, and he has a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed that 
ex uh, extensively into um, what the what that methodology and approach is, uh, what that philosophy is. Also, pedagogy of the oppressed is the basis of theater of the oppressed. It's the approach that people use when they're theater of the oppressed practitioners. Theater of the oppressed is also considered theater as popular education. So, uh, which is uh, to say that the philosophy is pedagogy of the oppressed. One way that the pedagogy, that pedagogy of the oppressed is practiced is through the use of theater of the oppressed. It is also one of the ways that is it is practiced is through popular education overall. Popular education is education of the of by for the people. The term the the term popular is referring to people like populace. Um, so it is meant to be education that comes from our everyday practice of being actors in the world. Um, it's not meant to be um, theoretical or overly academic. It's any tool or process that you use that helps people to understand each other in a practical and human way. You mean you don't have to take out a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and be in debt for the rest of your life to be a lifelong learner? And to always be expanding your mind? Lies. <laughs> well, you know, listen, I'm, I'm an educator, so I like all types of education, including, you know, acad academia and books and scholarship that happen in that type of a way. But I don't, I mean, you know, we're talking about, we talk about the amount of debt that people are going into in the United States for education. We're talking much more about capitalism and, and much less about education. Right. And and I and I'll add to that also. We like academia here at Forest Grove UCC too. We actually are the historic founders of Pacific University, which is across the street. So we love you academia. Uh, <laughs> but this is so you know everything within reason. You know, the thing about, about pedagogy of the oppressed, like when you read the when you read the text, which is a very dense text, and Brendan, you know the text because we had a study group of of practitioners that read pedagogy of the oppressed together during the pandemic. But the thing about pedagogy of the oppressed is that it's meant to be about teaching and learning. Like we're all teachers and we're all learners. And that we also we, we're gonna we're gonna exchange information and exchange skills and exchange tools in order to help us to confront whatever things that we want or need to confront practically. In the case of of you know a pedagogy of the oppressed or using popular education to confront oppression, that's what the focus is, right? So, uh, Freire. Paulo Freire created this approach and this understanding of oppression within what within uh, the I said Brazil right of the 60s and 70s, but the approach was being used by Catholic workers in the interior of Brazil 
with what was considered the peasantry, which were massive numbers of agrarian people who basically were had been former slaves and also indigenous people who were in the interior and whose land was being um, kind of confiscated by the government. The people weren't able to, they didn't understand what was going on in terms of how the land was being taken from them. They also could not fight it politically because there was, just like there was in the United States, there were, there might not have been poll taxes that happened in the United States during the 60s and 70s, but they also had a literacy test that they had to pass in order to be able to vote. So Freire's project was really about going into the interior, getting, having, uh, bringing uh, educators into the interior to work with people in the agrarian communities that did not know how to read and write. And he was helping them to develop the skills of adult literacy. And at the same time, what he discovered was that while they were, while he was, they were teaching the people how to, how to learn, you know, how to read and write so that they could vote was that they as middle-class Brazilians had no idea how to take care of themselves in the interior. They had no ideas, idea how to plant food or move crops or take care of animals or they couldn't take care of themselves. So they were dependent on the learners and the learners were also dependent on them. And so there came about this, this understanding of people being able to learn together as people and that it wasn't just an academic project and it wasn't just a practical project that if you really are learning in a human way that and not kind of a banking system of people pouring the information into your head that there's an exchange and that just as while you're teaching you're also learning and vice versa so it makes for a very very kind of equal and accessible means of, of learning this popular education. In your deep and rich experience, how have you how have you seen popular education as an effective tool with regard to the learning and preservation of black history in the United States? And mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. do you why do you feel or do you feel that popular education is particularly important as a tool toward that effort? of Mm -hmm. learning and preserving Mm -hmm. Black history in the United States? It's interesting. There's a lot, well, there's a lot of ways, but I'll say probably in every way that Black history was, is, as as like an African-American history or Black history as a separate kind of type of scholarship was really something that was being established and created by Carter G. Woodson um, in the early 1900s, probably late 1800s, early 1900s, and also W.E.B. Du Bois. Like there were people who were talking about the history and the existence of African-Americans within the United States for, for centuries. But I think you're asking a little bit of a different question, or I, I want to I say that I want to connect the Black the African-American long movement, long civil rights movement to this answer. So um, some people see the civil rights movement as 
um, the movement that existed between in, for, between the 1960s and the 1980s, what people say. There's a theory now that says that the, the civil rights movement, it has been and still exists as a long movement. As long as Africans have been here and resisted, there's been a civil rights movement, is what some people say, you know. So what I, I want to say about this is that popular ex examples of how popular education has been used not only to preserve history, but to preserve people's human and civil rights within the United States for African-Americans has a, really basically always existed. Many of the ways that slavery was confronted from the time of the Constitution through the end of the Civil War had to do with African-Americans going and confronting like using the law on their behalf, even when they weren't allowed to know, uh, they weren't allowed to be literate. I mean, the abolitionist movement that really comes out of the Second Great Awakening, which is a church, you know, a, a Christian movement in the United States, a lot of what um, happened within that movement, which was like also had like, you know, under a prohibition, all these reformist ideas. One of the one of the establish establishing kind of roots of abolitionism, abolition abolition of slavery, abolitionism in the United States came from people in churches deciding that they were uh, anti-slave and they would go and teach African Americans how to read and write under the umbrella of them being able to read the Bible, of 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 uh, bringing them into churches, and also the, the this kind of movement happened in a more a less institutional and more evangelical, which is a kind of a mm, a loaded term, but I'm saying in the sense of not being under the old British institution of the church at the time. Right, this early 1800s, late nine, late 1700s, early 1800s. So, they uh, people the the this the roots of abolitionism came out of the Second Great Awakening movement, and one of the actions that they did, one of the ways that they were educating black people, was to teach them how to read and write so that they could read the Bible, but they also were helping them to read and write so that they could resist uh so and the and the laws and there were laws against uh, in the black codes state by state that outlawed black people being able to learn how to read and write so uh and the laws would change over time sometimes getting as as the this movement started to build this abolitionist movement started to build that included black and white pe people preaching together, meeting together, churching together, whether it was in nature or under the roof of a, of a, in a building. This kind of equality was not something that really was welcomed state by state, especially not in the southern states, but also in northern states and some, some in the west. The laws started to get become more stringent 
and the laws started to really not only punish Black people for having acquired the ability to read and write, but also the white people who were teaching them started, the law started to, to penalize them as well. So it's like the, the, this, this kind of percolating of resistance and uh, establishing of resistance has not all of its roots, but significant in the United States, significant roots in the democratization of the church in the United States. The democratization of the church in the United States during the during this uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, also comes out of the constitution being written and ratified. And then the black church is able to, the black Christian church as an institution is able to establish itself out of this democratization. And it creates spaces that are spaces of not only spiritual uplift, but also of really massive resistance. So that's how I see it as kind of starting to be established in the United States. But then even, and, and that's like the early kind of part of what somebody would name as the long movement. Later, you know, after emancipation in the 1860s, and then after the establishment of um, the the kind of rights of everyone being able to have equal protection under the law to use the constitution on, on the behalf of African-Americans. And then, you know, of course the, the reconstruction era and the kind of dismantling of that in the 1960s, it happens again. So this movement of Paulo Freire, where he names pedagogy of the oppressed and popular education, you see also in the work, you see a very similar approach and method happening in the 1960s and 1970s by Ella Baker, who was a really amazing um, political organizer and probably the only female influencer and member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is all Black male pastors, but she organized on the grassroots massive numbers of people in the South to go and vote. Equally, Septima Clark, who uh, is another um, is a, another very powerful uh, organizer of the civil rights movement, organized massive numbers of educators, uh, Black educators and white educators within the United States to go and uh, train people to in the deep in the South and through, I mean across the country, but really in the South to be able to pass the the literacy test that stopped them from being able to vote. So very similar to Freire, um, and the exchange, the popular the exchange of teaching and learning there was not as vastly different. Of course, people learned from each other all the time. Uh, the people who were more middle class uh, in the Black community that helped organizers come and do this very dangerous work with people who did not know how to read and write often um, uh, partnered with with churches with, where the, the uh, minister as well as the congregation usually had more means than the people who weren't able to read and write. 
So they would do it within churches and they would, uh, for the congregations, and they would also do it uh, in the back of, they would teach people in the back of stores or storefronts of black um, business owners. So if someone owned like a, a, a general store, they would usually have like rooms in the back and they would have like um, underground schools there for people to be able to, to um, gain enough literacy to be able to go and vote. And then they had to go and be and face violence and brutality when they went actually as groups to go and vote. That was the first step and very, very similar process of having people come and teach and learn from each other, have kind of a basis of adult literacy, both in Brazil and in the United States. The basis of popular education is very much steeped in resistance movements and being able to get people the literacy that they need to be able to function within a participatory democracy. So that's how I see it in the, in the U.S. And I think that is a very interesting thing that was going on um, kind of at a parallel time. Thank you so much for sharing uh, with all of us. What I know, knowing you, is just a drop of water in the vast <laughs> reservoir of your your knowledge and so thank you so much thank you for joining us on the forest grove united church of christ podcast we hope today's episode has inspired and uplifted you on your spiritual journey to stay connected with our community be sure to visit our website at www.fgucc.org there you'll find a wealth of resources upcoming events and ways to get involved if you have any questions comments or suggestions for future podcast topics We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at fgucc.org, and we'll be sure to respond. Stay up to date with the latest church news and church updates by following us on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. Join our online community and connect with fellow believers who share your passion for faith and justice. Remember, at Forest Grove United Church of Christ, everyone is welcome, and we're here to support you on your spiritual journey. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you join us again next time.